Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. Hope everyone had a happy, safe, and fun 4th of July weekend. Welcome back into the Mass and All Access podcast. Thank you so much for making us a part of your Thursday afternoon. Hopefully, you are tuning in to us live on the Mass and Nationals Facebook page, YouTube channel, or on Twitter. And if not, you're catching us after the fact on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and or SoundCloud. I'm your host, Bobby Blanco. Uh, let me bring in my co-host, Amy Jennings, who joins me via Zoom. And Amy, happy 4th of July. How did you spend your holiday weekend? Happy late 4th of July. Um, I went on the 4th. I went to a cookout with a lot of friends, was in the pool. Uh, it was a perfect day for that. Um, and it kind of felt like the first holiday that I've celebrated that feels like back to normal. I mean, vaccinated, no masks on, around a lot of people. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. How about you, Bobby? Yeah, I was. I, I totally agree. Uh, I was at the beach. Actually, I went split my time between Rehoboth and Bethany for a little about about a week. Was able to cover some of the Nationals games down there and enjoy some beach time, enjoy some family time. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, especially down in Delaware here, Maryland and DC too, I think are opening up a little more. Um, you don't have to wear masks if you're fully vaccinated, which seems like a lot of people are, which is a great thing. Uh, so yeah, it was, I, I totally agree. It was like the first kind of shock back to normal and being like, man, we haven't done this in a year and a half or so, like at this point. So that was really neat. Um, it's a lot of fun. I grew up going down to Rehoboth and I've got to say, Amy, Growing up, it was always so many Phillies fans because, you know, obviously Philadelphia is so close to the Delaware beaches, which is totally understandable. You get your fair share of Orioles fans as well early on in my childhood. I was one of them, of course. And the Nationals came along, of course, weren't that great. Um, but it was nice to see a lot more Nationals fans, I think, downtown or in Rehoboth and Bethany down at the beaches than I think I've ever seen. Obviously, a World Series title helps to that. But to me, especially after last year, not going very often and not seeing people out and about, it was kind of the first time being like, oh, wow, we're kind of taking over here. Got some good looks from other people wearing Nationals gear as I was wearing my Nationals gear, walking around downtown. So that was pretty nice, uh, seeing the Nats fans kind of growing a little bit, the the fandom growing a little bit uh, into the Delaware beaches. Yeah, especially taking over those uh, Philly fan areas. I wouldn't have even thought about that because I think of Rehoboth as being more local and everything, but I guess that's a really good point, and you've been there a lot more than I have, so you know. So I'm, I'm glad you're upping the fandom there uh, in Rehoboth. I'm yeah. going to put that put that on you, Bobby. I'm sure you you were at least a little bit a part of that. <laughs> oh, I was. You know, I mean, yeah. when I'm not working, I'm a fan, right? I mean, so I, I, if I'm not covering the game, if I'm not at Nationals Park as a member of the media, you can catch me rocking my Nats hat and my my Nats t-shirts, my World Series championship gear. I've got a, a lot of it. Uh, I, th- I don't think my girlfriend's too happy about how much money I've spent on all of that, but that's a different conversation. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I'm definitely rocking the red and blue. Uh, huge DC sports fan all around. So, yeah, it, br- it brought a little tear of joy to my eye to see all of all of the uh, the Nats fans taking over uh, the beaches. One more quick thing to get a, uh, I wanted to a- ask you, Amy, before we get to uh, the meat of our podcast, the, the, the heart of the order, if you will. Uh, you have another job outside of what you do for the podcast and Max and All Access, of course, a little side hustle, if you will. 
And that requires you to wake up early in the morning. I want to ask, what time did you wake up this morning to go to work? I woke up at about 2.45 to go to work this morning. Um, and yeah, I covered the news and it always seems, you know, some days we finish early. It's a cool, calm day. Every week, I swear on our podcast day, there's breaking news. So today it was a fire. Um, and I was like, of course, I just had to expect it. So I need to stop jinxing myself and just know it's coming. So 2.45 this morning, I was awake, but we're powering through. And this is this is the fun part of the day, right? Yeah. Get to talk about baseball. <laughs> so the reason I asked is because I figured that was the case. And that means we were two uh, passing ships in the night because I went to bed at 3 a.m. last night covering the Nationals <laughs> West Coast game against the Padres. Obviously a fun victory. They won 15 to 5. Uh, so that was fun. But I, as I was getting ready to go to sleep, I was like, this is probably the time Amy usually wakes up and I'm just going yep. to bed. How does she do this? This is exhausting. Right. We really were passing ships in the night. Those West Coast games are killer. If I Can you imagine if I was covering those? I would just power right through. We wouldn't do that to you. I'm doing it, Bobby. We would not do that to you, Amy. We, I mean, knowing your schedule, we would not make you cover. I mean, I guess kind of in, this, in a way it makes kind of sense, but you need to sleep still. So like, I don't know when you would sleep if you – are covering a game starting out like seven ish. Yeah, this podcast probably wouldn't have gotten done today. <laughs> yeah, we think. probably had to push back uh, to Friday. Uh, I don't know if listeners at home or our viewers, I guess you should say, are, are, can tell. It's a million degrees in my house right now. The air conditioning is at its highest, and I am still just sweating. It is so hot in my room. So I apologize for the way that I appear on camera right now, but it is just absolutely <laughs> brutal. We're getting Elsa hitting our area uh, later tonight. So I think it's just a lot of humidity coming through the area. And it is just a scorcher. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think the Nationals go back out West Coast throughout the course of the rest of the season, which is a great thing. So we just got to get through this weekend. And the rest of them are basically Eastern time zones. You got one last series against the Rockies in the last week of the, seri- uh, the season. And then uh, they go to Milwaukee in the middle of August. Uh, that's about as far as they're West they're going to go for the rest of the season. So get rid of this weekend. Enter the All-Star break. We don't have to worry about these late nights anymore. Um, all right, Amy. Well, obviously, the big news came down yesterday. Uh, Juan Soto is participating in this year's All-Star Game, which is very exciting news, of course, for Nationals fans, uh, for those people who enjoy the Home Run Derby uh, and the All-Star Game festivities. Obviously, the Nationals haven't had someone participate in the Home Run Derby since Bryce Harper won the thing back in D.C. in 2018. Amy, what was kind of just your first reaction? Excited? Concerned? Not really caring about Juan Soto entering the All-Star Game? Or, excuse me, I mean, the Home Run Derby? It's certainly exciting. I mean, only the third national to make the Home Run Derby, obviously, in the national short history. But, it's of course, it's exciting. I think, if anything, it's a little bit surprising. I mean, only he only had 10 home runs on the season, I think, when he was selected for that. Now he has 11 after last night. Um, and Otani, who will go against in the first round, has 32. So almost three times as many home runs so far in the first half as uh, Juan Soto. So I think it's a little bit surprising um, because we're almost always every week talk on this podcast about Juan Soto not being able to elevate the ball this year. So a little bit surprising, but exciting. And it certainly opens up the possibility of maybe him being able to work some things out out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, I think – Every year goes by, I think MLB has a tougher and tougher time getting its superstars to do the home run derby because there is that kind of stigma around it for the players that it messes up your swing. We've, you know, of course they're going to ask the home run leaders to do it every year, but they're like, hey, I mean, I got my swing. I'm in a groove right now. I don't want to mess that up by just trying to hit long ball after long ball after long ball. 
Uh, Kyle Schwarber mentioned that the other day that, you know, he's like, he probably wouldn't do it again after doing it in 2018 because it's one exhausting and two really kind of messes up with your swing. And we're going to get into Juan Soto's numbers in just a bit, but I do think it's interesting that the idea that Juan Soto could be the exception here because he hasn't had the power numbers that we've seen him have over the course of his career and are usually uh, see over the course of a season, especially looking at 2019, his shortened 2020 season as well. Uh, so I'm just curious, you know, especially in the Colorado thin air in Denver, could the ball fly? I'm just curious to see if if Juan Soto participating actually benefits him for the second half. I think that's an interesting conversation. I know a lot of people on Twitter are going back and forth whether or not that's actually could possibly be the case. There is some uh, actual, you know, question as to whether or not the home run derby actually does affect. Uh, 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 batters swings for good or bad. Usually it's been bad in the past, but it's hard to determine whether or not that's actually the case. Uh, But yeah, I think it's an interesting concept and an idea. And I wonder too, Amy, you know, for me, and I kind of wanted, I I did not get the chance to ask Juan this, but I wonder if, is there a sense of, you know, for a basketball player, when you're just going through a struggle, you're slumping, all you need to do is just see the ball go through the net, right? You just need to go through the net one more t- one time, and then you're okay. Okay, that's, that monkey's off my back. I can go back and just start playing ball again. I wonder if the same thing is for Juan or a baseball player where you just need to see the ball leave the yard one or two times uh, and land in the stands and kind of just kind of relax and be like, okay, I know I can do this. My swing is right. My sw- Everything I'm doing mechanically is correct, uh, and, and the home runs will come. I wonder if that could possibly be the case and if the home run derby could fix that. I mean, you certainly see that hitters are extremely streaky uh, and baseball players are creatures of habit. So once you see it a couple of times, now he's homered and back to that games. Um, I certainly think that could be the case and maybe the home run derby could help. I mean, obviously he's still taking BP every day. Obviously he has these long hitting sessions with Kevin Long with the hopes of elevating the ball. Um, but why, if it can uh, hurt a pitcher or hurt a hitter's swing uh, for the rest of the season, why can't it help a, a hitter's swing? And this is certainly, I think Juan Soto could be the exception. My only concern would be that while Juan Soto hasn't been able to elevate the ball as often as he has in other years, he's still been able to get on base at a pretty high clip. His on base percentage is still pretty much on par uh, with the rest of his years in the majors. Um, he's still walking, still getting on base. So, that my only concern is that he comes back he's swinging for the fences and striking out every other time um but i doubt that's really the case because he hasn't been able to elevate the ball a whole lot so let's say he goes out there figures some things out with just the goal of over and over again swinging for the fences figures out some of those timing issues come comes back i mean in 2019 the last full season he had 32 home runs he has 11 so far this year so he could easily hit 20 in the second half of this season if he figures something out uh so it's certainly certainly a possibility and time will tell but it's kind of exciting to to see and kind of exciting to see how he'll compete because he's obviously a competitor going against otani in the first round we'll certainly be uh, a little bit difficult but it'll be exciting and Juan Soto one of the young up-and-coming stars of the of baseball fans are gonna love it especially Nationals fans yeah absolutely and I think that's kind of part of the reason why uh, MLB asked him to do it Uh, you know they he was part of the selection process from the league that added him to the all-star roster whereas Trey Turner which we'll get we'll get to in a minute was uh, was uh, voted in by his peers by the other players so I think to me that just says that 
Major League Baseball wants Juan Soto front and center, and that's, that kind of confirms superstar status. Not that he needed it, but like it kind of confirms when the league wants you there, that means that they need you there for eyeballs. They want people to come uh, tune in and watch you uh, participate in the All-Star game and in the home run derby. Um, but looking back at the numbers, you mentioned some of them, Amy. You know, you're right. He hit 13 home runs in 47 games last year. If he were at that same pace this year, that means he would have been over 20 at this point, which would be fifth in the National League. So kind of like you mentioned, who's to say he can't pick that up and do it for the second half, and then that would hit him over 30 homers at the end of the season, which is a pretty solid season. Maybe not to the level that we want to see Juan Soto, but that's nothing to be ashamed about, hitting over 30 home runs, which I think he can get to. Uh, you mentioned his uh, launch angle. His average launch angle this season is 5.1 degrees. That's actually a little higher than it was last year, surprisingly, but it's still well below his career average. And his barrel percentage is only 11.2%. He only barrels the ball that uh, amount of time, and that's 75th percentile in the league. So those are kind of the numbers that you look at and see, all right, this is the reason why Juan Soto is kind of going through a power surge right now, or, or sorry, power outage, and, and not hitting the ball to the – level that we've seen him hit and hit the home runs and get the RBIs and the three-run bombs and stuff like that. But then you look at his his other, you know, kind of stat cast numbers, it kind of suggests that he should be hitting these numbers. He's not doing anything wrong. His average exit velocity is 91st percentile in the league. His max exit velo is 95th percentile in the league. His hard hit percentage is 53.3%, which means he hard hits he hits the ball hard over half the time. That's 94th percentile. His expected av- batting average is 320 compared to his actual batting average of 282. So that's 40 points, about 40 points below where it should be. Uh, that's 98th percentile in the league. And then his expected slugging percentage, which is very low according to his, ba- his normal ba- uh, slugging percentage, is at 452. His expected is 558, and that's 96% uh, second percentile, excuse me. So the numbers on his StatCast page show that Juan Soto isn't far behind from being where he should be. You know, he almost should be where we expected him to be. It's just not falling for him right now. Um, and I wonder if, you know, you go to the the, the home run derby, you, you're trying to hit home runs, right? You're not trying, you're not taking normal BP. Normal BP, yes, you hit home runs, but you're also uh, trying to spray the ball around the field, hit to all fields put the ball in play because obviously it's not realistic to hit a home run every single time you're at the plate. Uh, so I think maybe this could kind of kickstart his power numbers because he is trying to lift the ball and hit it out of the park every single time. And maybe he does catch some good breaks with the air in Denver and see the ball land in the stands um, and is able to kind of take some confidence from there and be like, okay, I'm doing everything correctly. I, I can do this. Uh, it's just going to have to be a matter of time before it all comes to place, and hopefully the second half uh, that happens. Right. You men- mentioned that exit velocity in the 91st percentile in the majors. He's hitting the ball super hard. Yeah. It's just that really low launch angle. I mean, even that home run last night barely got out. It's His launch angle is so low. So I think, you know, going out there, swinging for the fences, trying to lift the ball, can't hurt that repetition swinging over and over again. And just like you, you mentioned at the beginning, maybe it's just a matter of seeing it, seeing it over and over again uh, will help him get into a better groove. But I don't think it's the end of the world for Juan Soto. Obviously we're talking about this because he's in the home run derby, but I don't think it's the end of the world. If he doesn't hit 
for a ton of power um, you know, over the next few years. He's just as valuable if he's getting on base, driving in runs, line drives. Um, you obviously, you want him to hit for some sort of power, especially if he's hitting down and down the lineup a little bit, especially as they build the, their top of the lineup um, more and more, find a true leadoff hitter, which obviously they found in Kyle Schwarber um, uh, in June. So you never know, but I don't think it's the end of the world if Juan Soto doesn't hit for home runs at as high of a pace as he has in previous years. Yeah, I agree. Typically, uh, I think that's correct, especially like you mentioned with the way that Kyle Schwarber was hitting the ball. Now that Kyle's out, though, and we don't know for how long, obviously, at least through the All-Star break, probably, hopefully not, but probably through the end of July with this hamstring strain, Juan Soto's going to need to pick up some slack. I mean, it was easy. We talked about this last week, I think, even, Amy. Like, it's kind of easy to ignore Juan's lack of power with the way that Schwarber was hitting the ball. But now Schwarber's out of the equation. Yes, Josh Bell's hitting the ball better. Trey Turner, of course, is... Finally, an all-star putting up all-star caliber numbers and hitting the ball hard. But now Juan Soto needs to pick up some of the slack because like we saw last year, when it's just him and Trey carrying the team, they don't go very far. And now that you add Schwarber carrying the team, that helps. But now he's gone. So a lot more pressure kind of falls back onto Juan's shoulders where he needs to help out, help out this offense. Josh Bell having kind of turned around his season, of course, helps. Uh, but they're playing some tough opponents. They can win three out of four against San Diego tonight. Uh, they play the Giants again, who they split a four-game series with in D.C. last month. Uh, so if you win two out of three there, you know, I, I would imagine if you're winning these games, especially with Max going tonight, Patrick Corman going last night, and still no Steven Strasburg, you're going to have kind of the back end of your rotation starting. So I don't know how heavily you can rely on your pitching. If, if the Nationals have a successful end to the first half of the season, my guess would be is because Juan Soto found his swing and starting to hit the ball pretty hard. Because the one thing about Juan Soto is he hits into double plays at a super high rate, one of the highest yeah. in the majors. Um, and so every time he comes up to the plate, hits into a double play, it's going to be that much more obvious. Uh, there's going to be that much more pressure on those two outs than there was before when you had Kyle Schwarber kind of burying some of those mistakes. The good news for the Nationals is they're getting more production out of the middle of the lineup. Like you mentioned, Josh Bell, Starling Castro has really come on uh, since he came back from taking that that leave with his family. Um, they're getting production out of Jan Gomes. So the good thing is other people are stepping up. But obviously Juan Soto, the guy who won the NL batting title last year, has to be a big part of, of that lineup production. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's hear from Juan Soto because he did talk about, of course, last night after hitting his second home run in second games, uh, in two games, uh, he was obviously talked about what's he feeling at the plate right now? What does it look? What does it feel like to see the ball actually leave the yard, uh, which is nice. Um, and of course, he was asked about his participation in the home run derby. So we'll hear from Juan Soto. And right after that, Davey Martinez will talk about what his thoughts or give his thoughts on Juan Soto entering the home run derby and what he's seeing from Juan at the plate right now. So let's hear from Juan and Davey. Hey, Juan, when you hit a ball that hard but that low, are you expecting it to still go out of the park like that? Hell yeah, every time. If I hit it hard in the air, I always think it has a chance. So uh, we've been working on it. I get it in the air enough to go over the wall. <laughs> and I'm just happy to that happen. How encouraged are you that the last two nights you've been able to clear the fence twice? How much has that meant to you, uh, given all the work you've put in? Uh, I just feel great. Uh, we've been working a lot, working hard. Today we see a good results from the swing, not just about the homer, 
but my swing was looking better and we were we've been going through the ball really well so it just made me happy and not just about homer no just all the work i've been doing i've been doing i can see it on the video hey Juan, you getting pumped up for the home run derby yeah hell yeah uh it's gonna be a nice experience and uh, i'm gonna try to enjoy it as much as i can yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. It's it's an honor to actually get invited to do that, and um, you know, I wish them all the best. Hey, it's a tough task. I mean, people don't realize uh, what those guys go to, you know, to hit those home runs like that, and it's tough, you know. But uh, I wish them well, and I'm going to be watching them. Yeah, I just want hey, I want them to have fun uh, with it. I mean, it's just like I said, it's it's an honor. Just but I told them I said, hey, go out there and have fun, and 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 do what you do best. You know, you watch them in batting practice. He has the ball all, all over the field for Homer. So I told him, don't try to change a thing. Just, just you be you. I know you can't really like draw a lot of like correlation between like batting practice home runs and like real game home runs, but are you kind of hoping like maybe the home run derby could kind of help Soto? You know, for, for me, like I said, I'm, I watch him take batting practice uh, every day and he has the ball out in batting practice. Um, so, you know, yesterday you saw him get a ball out over the plate. Uh, stay back and get the ball up in the air and hit the ball out over uh, left center field wall. So, um, you know, we I need we need to see more of that from Juan. Just staying back, letting the ball travel, and using the whole field. Um, I don't want him to get pull conscious. That's the biggest thing. And we talked about that with him. You know, when, in this home run derby, just use you know use the whole field because he can't hit the ball out to left field, uh, center field, right field. So don't just think about going out there and pulling the ball. So, uh, you know, the biggest thing for me is. It's to come back healthy, you know, after this. Like I said, it's 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 tough, you know. I, I've seen a bunch of these home run derbies, and uh, these guys, you know, the guys that go far, uh, it's tough on, on them. So I just want them to come back healthy and just go out there and have fun. Yeah, Kyle was talking last week about how tired he was about, like, after after the home run derby. Is that something that you talked to, to Soto about? Yeah, yeah, I told him. I said, hey, use your timeouts wisely and in these derbies. Uh, but, yeah, just uh, I told him, be careful. Of course, the slugger and his skipper, very excited about the idea of Juan Soto entering the home run derby. Just, again, the third national to ever enter the competition, hopefully following up Bryce Harper's performance back in 2019, uh, 2018 with a victory. Uh, and, Amy, you know, like you mentioned before, before we wrap this kind of the conversation up, you know, he is going head-to-head because Juan Soto, at the time of the draw, was the last of the eight competitors uh, in terms of home run totals this season. He is going to head-to-head with the home run leader in Shohei Otani in the first round. Uh, any predictions, any kind of thoughts on how Juan's going to face off against, right now, the best player on the planet? Poor Juan, that's all I have to say. But he is a competitor, and you it, you just see it in those those two interviews with both Davey and Juan Soto. Is It's so exciting. Like The first time for these guys is very exciting. Um, oftentimes when guys have already played in the home run derby or played in the all-star game, they elect not to go. They'd rather have the days off or, you know, it messes up their schedule, especially for pitchers. Uh, but for young guys, first time in, especially when maybe they weren't expecting it to come. Uh, but MLB certainly decided that they saw value in Juan Soto. It's extra exciting. So who knows, maybe he'll go out there and, and show out, uh, especially in that first round. But you never knew. Um, and it's certainly he didn't get the best draw, I would say. But what, what's your prediction? Show out against Shohei. Um, oh, I, 
I think he, I think he'll beat him. I think he'll be in the first round. I mean, you talk about like, you know. So here's the thing: they're both first time participants, right? I, I think Kyle Shore kind of mentioned this uh, last week or so when he declined the invitation or said he wouldn't participate if he was asked to do it. He said it's hard. Like you, you don't, you're not. People don't really realize how hard it is because you're swinging that heavy bat as hard as you can for like how long you get like five straight minutes or whatever it is. Uh, and then you do that like five more times. And the more and more you progress throughout the course of the bracket, the more and more you have to do it. <laughs> and so it, it's a hard competition. It's not like they're just going off and hitting off a tee or just taking leisurely swings. They're swinging as hard as they can for extended period of time. So I think between two people, two players who have never done it before, I think that kind of makes it even more, an more of an even playing ground. Uh, I don't think Otani has as much of an upper, uh, leg as everyone would expect him being the number one overall seed and Juan Soto being uh, the eighth seed. Uh, but I will say, I think Otani, you know, his numbers are fantastic. Of course, he's he's the best player, the most amazing, spectacular thing we can see in the game right now, uh, the two-way player that he is. But I think because he's a two-way player, you know, he doesn't have the plate appearances and at-bats that Juan Soto has. Um, he also might be focusing a little more on the all-star game itself, the next day because we know that he wants to both pitch and hit in that game. And, of course, we know the league wants him to do that as well. So I don't think Otani is going to go all out in the home run derby because he's going to be looking forward to putting on a show in the actual game itself the next day. And I think that will allow Juan Soto to come away victorious in the first round. I do think Juan, though, will run into some trouble facing Pete Alonso in the second round, the reigning champion from back in 2019. Uh, because he's been there before, right? He's done this before. He knows what it takes. Uh, and so I, I think that Juan won't get too far, but I think he gets out of the first round, pulls off an upset. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, especially mentioning him being a two-way player and being in the All-Star game. Um, it will certainly factor into it, uh, but he's on fire right now. But maybe, I, well, I think what will be most interesting is to see what Otani kind of does at the plate in the second half now. I mean, he's had absolutely an incredible first half, clearly, but now maybe he's the perfect example, like so many guys go to the Home Run Derby and mess up their swing. Uh, but I would imagine if he's participating in the Home Run Derby, he's probably going to try to win it or do the best he can. So it'll be interesting for sure, and um, my eyes will be on it. Yeah, I, I, just, that was, yeah I, I, I mean, crazy. now it have to be, right? Because I wasn't expecting Juan to be in it now that he's in it. I mean, now we absolutely have to watch watch it um but yeah i'm not wasn't saying that otani was gonna go you know 50 well, yeah, percent or not give his right, full effort right. but i just think you know it's it's gonna be a little more tiring than he expects for both he, players um, right he has more to think there's more that factors into right. every swing with him just being a two-way guy so yeah that's true that's true and i you know what I, I bet you there's maybe some hesitation in the angels front office to letting him do it. it's like, do we really want him hitting home runs at that clip? And then also playing in the game as both a pitcher and a hitter the next day. That seems like a lot for what's supposed to be an all-star break uh, for the and best I player was, in baseball. And I was honestly surprised about him participating in the home run derby. Too. I mean, it's kind of difficult to not when you have what 32 home runs in the first half and been the best player in baseball. But at the same time, you also have to consider, you know, your team and, the season, so that, that that does surprise me. Yeah, we've already seen a couple of players, star players, uh, opt out of the, of the All Star game. Of course, Jacob Degrom not able to participate. We saw a couple of big name Astros players decline to participate. They want to focus on the second half of the season. 
Uh, which leads us into our next conversation, uh, Amy, is that, you know, one of those players is not going to, unfortunately, not going to be able to participate. It's Kyle Schwarber, obviously due to an injury. The Nationals will have also Trey Turner representing them at the All-Star game. And Max Scherzer misses his first All-Star game since 2012. But with DeGrom opting out, could we possibly see Schwarber act, oh, excuse me, Scherzer act as a replacement uh, player? I would certainly, he has to be one of the next men up. Uh, but I don't even know that he necessarily will want to at this point. Not necessarily. I mean, you know, he's not, I doesn't come across as the guy like, oh, I didn't get selected or I didn't get voted in. I'm not doing it. But more just because he's been a seven-time All-Star, didn't get in the first go around. Why mess up your whole schedule, your whole routine um, when you're, you know, you weren't even on the roster in the first place. I'd be kind of surprised if they did, if he was the next man up and he did participate. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, though, that his last start of the first half of the season is tonight in San Diego going up against the U Darvish, obviously a marquee matchup, but that would put him in line to pitch next on Tuesday. So it wouldn't be for a lack of them not having enough rest. Uh, it would almost, in a, isn't it weird sense, Amy, that it would almost make more sense for him to pitch because then he doesn't have that extended break and he would be kind of still be on a normal schedule. Obviously, he won't pitch the length that he would normally do in a, in a start. Probably but an inning, but yeah. yeah. But, I mean, he would still get out there, warm up, throw a couple of batters. Um, is there, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not saying, I mean, he also hasn't been selected yet, so it might be a, a you know, a non-factor. <laughs> but if he were selected, I think that'd be interesting that it does fall on the day that he would normally pitch anyways. Well, it's just... I just find it so hard to believe that he kind of got snubbed in the first place. I mean, he's having one of the best years of his entire career. Um, he's had 11 straight starts this season, giving up two or fewer runs. Uh, it, it's kind of unbelievable. And he's, what, fourth in strikeouts per nine in all of majors. He's, like, fourth in ERA. He ranks, you know, in the top, I think, everything except for war uh, that most of these guys on the NL pitching roster have over him. But that's pretty much it. I mean, he's having one of the best years of his career. First time he's missed the All-Star game since 2012. Um, I don't think it probably matters a whole lot to him. He he wants to play the real season. The All-Star game is kind of, like, uh, fun for baseball, a little bit exciting. I don't know how much he cares. But it's kind of uh, kind of unbelievable to to a certain extent. I was surprised. I think Max's favorite part about the All-Star game is the parties. I think he likes to go out and have fun during the break as opposed to, like, actually – uh, you know, participating in the game and starting the game, whatever it may be, you know, because we remember we, we heard all the stories uh, when the All-Star game was here in D.C. in 2018. You know, he was just everywhere having so much fun. <laughs> I think he likes the festivities more than the game and uh, and like all the media requirements and stuff like that uh, uh, than uh, itself. So uh, I, I do think he enjoys it, but you're right. I don't think he's going to be that butthurt about not being included or not being selected, even though his number suggests he absolutely should be. And uh, of course, pitching staff is hard to fit in all the pitchers uh, that you, that need to be there because you have to include relievers too. Uh, and you can only include so many starters. So it's a tough process, but yeah, Max, I don't think any way should feel like he doesn't deserve to be there because he definitely does. Right. Definitely. And, you know, kind of on the other end, I was surprised that he didn't make it. I was surprised that Juan Soto made it. And I, I don't know why, because, you know, the All-Star game, it, 
is so to a certain extent a popularity contest yeah. with some of those last guys in. You want your big names in there. You're trying to, you know, expand the game. You're going to put Juan Soto, one of your best up. And I mean, they're comparing him to Ted Williams. You, you want Juan Soto in your all-star game. But if you look at his numbers in the year that he's having, it is a little bit crazy that he made it, um, at least to me. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I was very shocked that not only the Nationals get three all-stars, but that Max Scherzer wasn't one of them. Uh, and then, I mean, again, nothing against Juan Soto, but he doesn't have the eye-popping, sexy power numbers that usually merit an all-star vote, you know, catch the attention of fans and have them vote for him. You know, we talk, we just talked about how he hasn't doesn't have the home runs like Acuna does, like Tatis Jr. does. Um, but, you know, again, like I said, I, I think it's more of a an instance where MLB wants him there. Uh, there was a spot open, and, uh, you know, he represents a young generation of fans uh, he'll have a lot of young fans looking at the game, watching the game to see him participate, to see him participate in the home run derby. So I think that's a very strategic move on the MLB part because they are the ones that selected him. It wasn't his peers, whereas Trey Turner was selected finally to his first All-Star game. And that is something that he has deserved for a long time. Yeah, that's super exciting to see Trey Turner make it in. I mean, we talked about him when we were talking about the batting title last year and we were talking about MVP considerations. Trey Turner, and I think he always will be probably one of those players that just flies under the radar. He's super valuable to his team, one of the best shortstops in the game, but he's always going to fly under the radar. He's not flashy, but to see him make it into the All-Star game, to see to see everything pay off, it's exciting, and it's a reward, and it's exciting because he's young and he's getting into his first game, uh, his first All-Star game, and he certainly deserves it. I mean, he ranks in the top three at least in almost every hitting category in the National League, sitting 317 this year with a 365 OBP. He deserves it. Uh, he does a great job both at the plate and defensively, obviously, and he's one of the best shortstops in the game. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, it's just, I agree, he's going to be kind of underrated or overlooked for most of his career because, you know, when you're playing in the same league as Fernando Tatis Jr., Trey Turner could put up superstar numbers and he would still get overlooked by Tatis Jr. on name alone, which is just the way it's going to be. Again, like you mentioned, Amy, it's a popularity contest. Uh, I think the other shortstop named was Trevor Story, right, with the Rockies. Maybe Trey Turner is super hoping that Trevor Story gets traded to a, a, an American League team so he doesn't have to worry about him in his league anymore. Yeah, I know. I, I I do feel bad for him. He certainly should have made an all-star game before this point in his career. But to see it pay off, I'm sure he's excited about it. Um, your first time, I think, going, you have to be at least, you know, it shows put your names out, put your puts your name out there mm. um, and, and shows your hard work for the first half of the season. And I was also surprised to learn that this was Kyle Schwarber's first all-star selection. I guess because I, you know, yeah, he obviously participated in the home run derby in 2018. Uh, finishing second to Bryce Harper in that incredible final round at Nationals Park. But I guess in my mind that made him an all-star. And I was just surprised that this wasn't this wasn't his, this was his first, I guess, all-star selection, uh, even considering some of the good careers or seasons he had in Chicago. Right. It definitely is. I mean, it's crazy that 
this is a nationals team that was last for much of the first half, last in the division for much of the first half um, of this season. This is a lineup that we have constantly been talking about not being able to to put up runs. And they have three guys in this lineup in this all-star game. So that kind of surprises me. I mean, Kyle Schorber, you know, kind of was on par with the team. He had a really slow start to the season. And then when the team took off, Kyle Schwarber took off and much of the team taking off was due to Kyle Schwarber's June. Um, and obviously here in this spot on this all-star team for his record breaking June. I mean, he was just incredible. deserves this spot. Kind of sad. We won't be able to see him play with that hamstring injury. That's true. But I mean, I, they can't take away that designation. You know, his baseball reference page already says that he's a, he's an all-star. Um, you will ever, forever be a one-time all-star. It is a little different being able to participate in the game. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, he's, he's an all-star finally. He deserves it. That June, it was unbelievable. Of course, player of the month, uh, named last week. So uh, good for Kyle Schwarber. Uh, hopefully he's resting up and getting better and it continues that hot June, uh, into late July, or I guess August would be probably when we see him, uh, the earliest. So yeah, surprised that the Nationals got three. Max Scherzer left off, I guess, technically a couple of Players could still opt out between now and Sunday or, or Monday, whatever. Injuries, God forbid there's an injuries, but they do happen. Um, and Max could find his way somehow to Denver. But even if then he was at, maybe he's already been asked and he kind of declined and was like, you know what, I don't need it right now. But, you mm-hmm. know, I, I think it is kind of telling that the Nationals, like you said, were last place, what, a month ago? And now they're sending three guys to the All-Star game with the potential of a fourth and are in second place, only four games back of the Mets. So pretty exciting times for the Nationals, even though, um, well, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say even though, considering where the season started. So a good way, good, strong finish uh, to this first half. Right. And it's exciting for Nationals fans because I'm always one. I don't necessarily always watch the home run derby or watch yeah. all of the all-star game. But when you have three of your your players in it, you're going to be much more apt to, to watch it and be into the game. So it's certainly exciting uh, there, especially for all three first timers. Yeah. Um, well, another aspect which is new this year to All-Star Week is the uh, addition of the Major League Baseball first-year player draft, which starts off Sunday night. Um, Amy, I, I don't know how I feel about this. I think Major League Baseball is doing another thing where they can't get out of their own way. I do not really like the inclusion of the draft during All-Star Week. I think that's putting too much into a course of three days um, and is going to draw attention away from each different event. Uh, I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. Uh, But it is the case. The the, the draft starts Sunday and the Nationals have the number 11 overall pick. Do you think this is something that it's this year they had to push back the draft so it's going to be part of this weekend and maybe this is a one-time thing and kind of never again once I hope so. things get back to normal you think? I hope. Yeah. I I I just I think it's it's taking away uh the attention that these college and high school kids deserve being drafted uh, and then it's also taking away uh eyeballs from the uh, what's uh, the uh, the not the rising star is it the rising rising pro whatever the the prospect mm-hmm. game on futures game excuse me, there it is futures game on Sunday which Kay Cavalli is representing the Nationals in the number one overall prospect for the Nats which is exciting but that's kind of it's kind of conflicting ideas right like I know they're kind of at separate times but it just feels like they're cramming too much into one uh, week not even a week three days uh, and, and it's just it's going to be a little bit overloaded and I don't think each event that being the futures game 
the draft, especially the first round, uh, the rest of the rounds, the home run derby, the All-Star game itself are going to get the attention that they deserve. They deserve to be in the spotlight. Uh, and I think it's going to be just too much of a crammed schedule. Right. And if the goal of the All-Star game, the home run derby, the futures game, all the draft, all of it is to to draw attention to the sport, to spread popularity of baseball. Why well, jam it everything into one weekend? Yeah. Let it have its own time. Let the eyeballs go here and there and spread popularity of the sport. You know, you're you're bringing stars like Juan Soto into the All-Star game. Obviously, you're bringing stars into the league now spread it out and let each you know event have its own time i agree with you there but hopefully this is only year we see it nationals pick 11th um and it's the highest they've picked in a long time so it'll certainly be exciting drafts i mean baseball drafts are so hard to tell players fall the nationals almost always pick a pitcher who knows who knows what's going to happen um but definitely exciting the nationals picking the highest they picked in a long time yeah absolutely i, I would have liked to see them put the draft on Wednesday and Thursday, because those are the two days of the All-Star break where there is no events going on. So fill out the whole week instead of cramming everything into three days. But I digress. Well, yeah, even a Sunday night is so, yeah. Like, yeah, just who's going to tune in on a Sunday night? I'm sorry. I mean, it's like, it's it's going to be tough. Like, Sunday night? Like, everyone's going to be like wanting to watch, like, Netflix or a movie or, or go to a barbecue <laughs> and sit outside. No one's going to want to sit inside and watch the first round of a draft. These kids deserve better, in my mind. But Especially slow draft and yeah, yeah, yeah but anyway true. but anyway i think you're right the baseball draft is probably the most unpredictable draft uh there uh, there is in sports however that being said i think the most predictable thing is that the nationals will draft a, a starting pitcher don't you think yeah, uh, I think history would kind of point that way. If they don't take a picture, I think it will will kind of shock shock the world. <laughs> yeah. um, well, Amy, you actually were able, was able to chat with a Nationals cross-checker, Jimmy Gonzalez, who uh, is scouting for the team, of course, throughout the course of the country, kind of previewing the draft, uh, the, the number 11 overall pick. Uh, what was kind of your takeaways from uh, him before we get to hear what he has to say? Yeah, so Jimmy has been scouting for 26 years. Uh, about half of those years has been with the Nationals, so he's kind of seen baseball, the baseball draft, take a take a twist. Uh, the Nationals are obviously known for having this old, new school, mixed approach where they uh, use analytics, but also highly value their traditional scouts. And he mentioned that he definitely feels that from the organization, notices the difference between the Nationals and other organizations, how they draft. Um, he thinks that it helps them draft, and they've certainly put together some good draft classes um, th throughout the year. So we talked a little bit about that, and I'm actually going to be doing a story that will air tomorrow before the Nationals game about that mix and how it affects their draft. But I also asked him, is there an added pressure uh, with the shortened draft again this year? You can't have too many misses on too many picks. Uh, you have to hit on a lot of your picks. And he kind of said it's just like every other year. There's still a lot of pressure um, but what he was excited about is picking earlier in the draft, picking at that number 11 spot. And uh, let's let's hear what else he had to say. You always want to, you know, you want to do the best you can for your club, try to get the best player in every round. But uh, I, I think we've got a really good grasp of what we're doing and the players. We haven't picked this high in a long time. You know, we always usually pick in the middle to the back end. I think the last time we picked this high was when we took uh, Anthony Rendon with the sixth pick. So this is this is the first time we picked this high. So we've um, you know, we feel like we're going to get a really, really good player this year. It's kind of crazy to think that the last time the Nationals picked this high was Anthony Rendon 
all the way back when it was 2011. Uh, and now here they are picking 11th, which is a good thing, right? That's a good thing. It means they're winning, that they're competing, that they're picking later in the first round. But yeah, it should be interesting because, you know, this is a, a, a pretty important draft for the Nationals. We talked about it a bit last year. You know, we talked about it a bunch this offseason. Are the Nationals kind of teetering on that, needing to do kind of a mini rebuild um, you know, after a World Series championship? So picking 11th and getting a solid player that can kind of fly up the system and be ready for you in a couple of years is pretty important. Yeah, it's certainly easier picking 11th than later in the first round, a lot less risk. But of course, they'll likely go with the higher risk pick and uh, taking a pitcher. I know Ty Madden has ties to their name right now. That's a righty out of Texas. He's a big, tall righty, kind of fits just their type of mold. Um, same with Will Bednar out of Mississippi State uh, is kind of tied to him, but it's still hard to tell. I mean, the Kumar Rocker, who was supposed to be at the very top, has dropped a lot. Um, so it's hard to tell who might fall to them because of injuries, any other issues. Um, but I certainly think the odds are that they will take a picture. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, that's usually the case. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing some people on the comment section. William Purdy says draft a third baseman. Not a bad idea, honestly, considering because we don't know how, what Carter Keyboom's future holds with this team and how he's going to pan out at that position. Um, I just think, you know, from the few research that I've done already, that it looks like a lot of the top uh, infield prospects are going to go probably in the top 10. Uh, not that they can't find a good one right there, but the higher names you're going to see, you're probably good, more likely to hit on a pitcher at 11 uh, than an infielder at a corner, uh, a third baseman at that. And here's the issue is, you know, you draft a third baseman. Now you draft by position of need rather than the best player available. He's not going to see the big leagues for a couple years down the line. And hopefully by that time, they will have solved their issue at their base because I don't know if they can go three, four more years without a true third baseman. So that was kind of the risk and kind of what we talked to. I talked about with Jimmy as well is what what is your outlook at at your 11th pick because typically it's the best player available, but the nationals seem to always take a picture. So maybe they have a different outlook um, on that number 11 pick, but that's certainly a good idea drafting a third baseman, but you might see that later on uh, at a less uh, high risk pick. Yeah. Well, they might, you know, like we know the nationals do, they probably value uh, a pitcher more than a position player. So in their minds, that pitcher is, the best player available uh, in that situation. Mm -hmm. So that's very interesting. Looking forward to catching that video, your, the rest of your interview with Jimmy Gonzalez. Amy, we're also going to be doing a live all-access show Monday, recapping the Nationals' first-round pick. What more can you tell us about that? Yeah, Monday morning, Bobby and I will be on. We'll have an official Mass and All Access show, a podcast to follow, follow later in the week. But just kind of looking um, at what, who they took there in the first round at the number 11 pick, going to some analysis on that and kind of different stories, history of, of their drafting. Uh, it should be good. So everybody tune in Monday morning. Yeah, can't wait for that. Got to do my research. Got to read up on some of these guys and check out some mock drafts because outside the top 10 guys, I'm not, I don't really know. Uh, other names that well, are you know what you'll do the research and i they'll pick somebody that you know you never expected so it's it's just it's so hard to tell especially with the baseball draft yeah i mean look i mean last year we weren't expecting kate cavalli to be there at 22 there he was and we were barely prepared to talk about him because we just didn't think he'd be there and then he was and of course that turned out really well so far for the nationals real quick before we get out of here amy william also wants us to ask answer more questions the one i saw that caught my eye the most uh the White Sox DFA'd Adam Eaton yesterday. Do you think there's a chance for a reunion? 
I would say not super likely, um, but they're certainly in a little bit of a jam right now out there in the outfield. I don't think it's likely. What do you think? I don't think so too. I mean, that'd be a nice story, but um, I, I think if if it's tough because of the injuries, but I think uh, Dave Martinez is happy with Gerardo Parra. He's happy with Yadiel Hernandez right now. Uh, they should be getting Andrew Stevenson back relatively soon. He's on rehab assignment with, uh, with Rochester. He's been leading off a bunch, so he'll be back healthy hopefully soon. Victor Robles has been playing fantastic. Of course, Juan Soto. You should get Kyle Schwarber back in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's in the cards right now because of the players that already have in-house that should be returning sooner rather than later. Oh, and here's the thing is the White Sox DFA'd him. I think everybody who has stepped up and filled in while Kyle Schwarber has been out has done just as well as Adam Eaton would. Uh, obviously, they let him go before this season. So not a, not um, a likely fit, but you never know. Yeah. There's been crazier stories. You never know. Well, William, sorry we couldn't get to more of your questions. Uh, hopefully next week, like Amy said, we'll be recapping the draft and previewing the second half of the regular season for the Nationals. We can get to maybe some more fan questions in that episode, so be sure to tune in. Give Amy a follow at Amy Jennings News. Be, keep a lookout for that video of her and uh, J- Jimmy Gonzalez. That'll be, of course, across the Masson Nationals uh, social media accounts and on the YouTube channel as well. And again, tune in to our draft recap uh, all access show on Monday morning across the board on all social media. You can catch us there as well. At Amy Jennings News, be sure to give her a follow. Amy, thank you so much for your time. I'll see you Monday. See you Monday. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Mass and All Access Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, commenting along, answering questions, being a part of the conversation. We really enjoy your input. Be sure to follow the Mass and All Access Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Wherever you find podcasts, you can find the Mass and All Access Podcast. Tune in to our live show every single week. And, of course, the draft recap show on All Access on Monday. I'll be back doing our recap episodes after the break. It's been a kind of busy week, and I have a lot stuff to prepare for for the draft shows um, coming up so our uh, recaps will continue after the break we'll recap the first opening series against the Padres at home so check out that on all of your podcasting platforms I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco on Twitter you can give me a follow and of course stay tuned with Mark Zuckerman's coverage on MassInSports.com you can also catch out my coverage on Friday night as the Nationals open up a three game series in San Francisco to close out the first half Glad everyone had a safe and happy weekend. Stay safe and continue to stay healthy. Get out, have some fun. Go to a Nats game after the break. Cheer on Juan Soto in the home run derby and in the All-Star game with Trey Turner. Uh, It's going to be a fun couple of weeks, and we'll talk to you soon. So uh, until then, uh, you know, stay healthy, stay safe, and stay happy.